You're listening to Commissioning Conversations, the podcast brought to you by Broadcast Intelligence. Hi, and welcome to Commissioning Conversations. I'm Heather Fallon. And I'm Alice Redman. And we are both researchers and journalists for the Commissioner Index. And this week, we're taking a look at the highly prized 16 to 34 audience. And Heather has spoken with Alan Clements from Two Rivers about some of his latest commissions. So, hey guys, this week we're taking a look at those all-important 16 to 34s that everyone keeps talking about. This has been spurned by some interesting changes over on Channel 4's youth skewing channel E4. So, Alice, as our resident expert on Channel 4, do you want to explain what's going on? Yeah, so this week Channel 4 have announced three more short-form commissions for E4's digital presence. These are kind of spearheaded by Navi Lamba, who has done some amazing stuff at E4's in the digital space. She greenlit in 2020 Rap Therapy, which details how rap and grime artists deal with their mental health and things like that. And an animated series, and it's really Really recommend checking it out. There's things like um, mindfulness techniques in there, as well as some personal stories. And I just think it's a really progressive and really wonderful series and really kind of gets what people in that 16 to 34 audience bracket want. They want things that are very, you know, of the time and they're helpful and they're from their idols and or people they look up to. I'm very into this commission. Um, it's, it's yeah, no, it sounds now. great. So yeah, and also, so now she's teaming with, back in June, um, when the entertainment team updated their brief, they said they were looking for some short form series that they could trial on digital that then could potentially expand into linear. So that was briefed back in June. And more recently, E4 have been kind of really focusing on new talent and how they can develop new talent. Um, and that path pathway is, again, the same. We want to develop them on digital and put them on linear. And this is something that Channel 4 have done for a really long time, because if you think back to probably pre-2018, I can't put a date on it, but comedy blaps, like so many Channel 4 comedy yeah. series originated as comedy blaps online. So this is like a very clear pathway for development on Channel 4. So now Navi Lambert with Entertainment Commissioner Stephen Hanley have announced three commissions. They've got What If with Munya Chihuahua, who I love. He is so funny. He's done some amazing stuff. Um, We've got Blind Love on First Day Island, which is people having phone dates. And then it's animated kind of what they're saying on their phone date. And then One Night Stand, which is where singletons who have previously had a one night stand meet for a second chance date to see if it was just a one night stand or if it could be something more. (laughs) What's really interesting about these and another commission that happened a little bit earlier this week, which was Pete and Sam's Reality News, is that they're really showcasing a clear pipeline of trying new ideas, trying new talent, seeing how it is on digital, seeing how the 16 to 34 audience respond to it for the idea that eventually it would be on linear. Yeah, so I was particularly interested in that Sam and Pete's Reality News one when that came across our desk because another really interesting way of using social media, and it was the same for Munya Chihuahua, where he... I recognise him as being quite a presence on social media and then taking talent which have clearly resonated with those younger audiences and then bringing them into linear TV. And I think 
from my perspective, looking after the BBC, having a look at what Fiona Campbell's strategy is at the moment, I think she does a really good job of getting what young people are interested in. And she's spoken previously about using social media trends and getting producers to kind of inform themselves about what is doing well on there in order to, you know, try and connect with the 16 to 34 audiences. So she's previously commissioned a series called Fight Dirty, which was kind of inspired by the topic of cleaning, which is a really popular one on social media. And a similar program that she commissioned was Skin, which looked at the topic of skincare. And obviously those 16 to 34s, I mean, especially I'd say the younger half of that. And to be honest, BBC Three kind of primarily is catering towards 16 to 24 rather than 35. They're going to have, a lot of them are going to have struggles with their skin and their self-image, you know, the hormonal spots, all those kind of (laughs) things. So having a program like that, I think is a really good choice because it's very specifically leans towards that demographic without putting that teen stamp on things, which I think is a bit of a hole that commissioners and producers can fall into which is if you focus so hard on trying to make something appeal to teens it can end up doing the opposite and kind of pushing them away yeah I definitely think um specifically targeting programs for teens can sometimes have the complete opposite effect where you have a 16 year old that is that basically looks at and says well no I'm an adult I don't want to watch I'm way too cool for this yeah like uh, give me that and I think a lot of it is just about making good tv because I think you've got things like Bake Off and Sewing Bee which are do so well in the 16 to 34s and also I think you know these things that resonate really well I mean with ITV they have Love Island which is one of the most successful shows in 16 to 34s in the last couple of years and it does have young people in it like the majority of people in it are aged between 20 and 30 and are all beautiful and you know sit around in their bikinis all day and it does have like appeal but it never specifically says this is for this audience and it reaches loads of people you know you get people of all age ranges watching it and I think if you can find a way to skew young and star young people and speaks to issues that really resonate well with young people but at the same time are really wide-reaching in that they can affect everyone but have taken considerations to ensure that young people are also at the forefront of that and I think those are the programs that resonate the most. So Alice, we've had a lot of green light news this week to look through, including Sky's largest ever lineup of new shows for 2021, the unsurprising recommission of Netflix's Bridgerton and the return of the Ranga Nation on BBC Two. But what's been your green light of the week? Well, Heather, I can't help but wonder if as a journalist, I should now be drinking a Cosmo and have my own walk-in wardrobe because of course my green light of the week was and just like that, the Sex and the City revival. Absolutely fabulous. <laughs> I know. I really whammed in as many Sex and the City references into that. Um, and it actually kind of hawks back to your point about teens. When I was a teen, I was watching Sex and the City because it felt grown up. You know, I wasn't yeah. around for its original run, but my mum had the box set of DVDs and borrowed it and I binge watched them all. So what was your what was your green light of the week, Hev? 
Yeah, so I got this email come come past my virtual desk um, about a feature length documentary by Two Rivers and Salon Pictures called Killing Escobar. And as a big Narcos fan and also just like many other people found the whole story of Pablo Escobar so fascinating. Um, so this is a feature length doc for BBC Scotland. And it tells the story about this guy called Peter, who was hired to basically try and assassinate Pablo Escobar as part of that team. And it was such an interesting story. I had to get on the phone and have a little chat with Alan Clements from Two Rivers. Hi, Alan. How's it going? It's going very well, Heather. Very nice to meet you. How's it with you? Yeah, well, you know, not too bad, given the grand scheme of things. I just wanted to say I'm really, really thrilled to be able to talk to you today about your upcoming feature doc, uh, Killing Escobar, which is being produced by your indie Two Rivers, along with Salon Pictures. When I came across this press release, I just thought it sounded like such an interesting story. Uh, I just had to give you a ring and find out a little bit more about it. So could you tell me a little bit more about how you guys first came across the story and what the documentary is about. Of course, uh, delighted to tell you about it. And I would start with a massive disclaimer that actually I'm the, pe I'm the person who deserves the least credit in this. Um, uh, the exec producer from Two Rivers point of view, Mick McAvoy, our head of factual, has driven the editorial brilliantly along with Dave Whitney, the, the director. And Nick Tusak from Salomon Pictures, the other executive producer, uh, and the second person who deserves enormous credit is, of course, Nick himself, because it was his story originally. And what happened? No, no, there's a third person who deserves credit. <laughs> Ford, who was then with the Q Media International and now has his own distribution company, Abacus Media. He emailed me and went, can we have a chat? I'm like, sure. Because uh, Q was an investor, before it went bust, was an investor in Two Rivers. And I've come across this story, I'm working with a guy, I've come across this story, uh, which I think you might like. And then he described the story, the absolutely remarkable and extraordinary story of Peter McAleese, this Scottish mercenary who recruited a dozen other guys and set off to kill Pablo Escobar. And the most remarkable thing about all of this, Heather, is they filmed it. And, oh, I didn't realise that he filmed it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, not him. Mem members of the, the team, members of the gang, members of the squad yeah. filmed with, it looked like high eight cameras, which were all the kind of rage then, and <laughs> like boys with toys. They were so excited to be filming this, filming them getting the suitcases of dollars from the Cali cartel, filming the weaponry arriving and them preparing all the, I mean, they filmed the lot, which yeah. is just amazing. So I said to Jonathan, well, now you've got my attention. So he said, let me introduce you to Nick. So basically, they've been developing the story for ages. They've cut a very sexy sizzle and uh, a, a kind of deck. And they'd been having negotiations uh, with the streamers, with the SVODs, and had come really close, but hadn't quite got it over the line. And he says, there's another way we can maybe skin this. He says, well, why don't we start in Scotland? given that the main, main character is Scottish. So that that is the bit I get some credit for. Well, you have to uh, take some credit. Yeah, no, I know. I, oh, incredibly modest guy. No, no, I, 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 <laughs> this is a bit I could do take credit for. 
So I went to Steve Carson, who was then running the, the new BBC Scotland channel. He's now obviously the director of, of all BBC Scotland because he'd been talking to me because I had a big tradition at Work Climate Side, BBC and STV of doing international co-production. And he was saying, if there's ever anything that's got a big Scottish element, why don't we try and put together a package? But that idea of bringing together like-minded people to create a bigger thing than any one of them could afford, I think is a brilliant way forward. And when you look at the, what the marketplace is looking for now, I think is a really interesting business model. And I've always believed in that. So Mick and I went to see him. We told him the story, showed him the clip, and he was like, it, it's just such a fantastic boy's own story. But obviously his concern, and, and ours to a certain degree, was we don't want to glorify violence. You don't want to glorify mm. this. Uh, and but be able to tell the story with all the excitement and enthusiasm, but without with a bit of moral concern, should I put it? No. <laughs> so he said he would come in, made a commitment to a fee as a kind of building block. He was like an anchor tenant for us. Then a new Screen Scotland, who've been so supportive of Two Rivers throughout, they're very keen to get the Scottish marketplace into feature docks. Because again, as I was saying, I think it's a big marketplace going forward from Sky Docs through to Discovery Plus. There's a real demand for that. Obviously, a lot of it's true crime, but it's not just that. There's a real demand for those kind of super high-end specialist factual stories, documentary stories. So mm -hmm. they were on board and were very supportive. And then by that point, Q had collapsed. So Jonathan was, was finding his feet with his new distribution business and we felt on a bound to go back to him and go, do you want to be better on it, given that he was the genesis of the story in the first place? Uh, so he put in a substantial advance and we, we closed the deal with all deferred fees, all the usual thing, and we closed the deal. And it was um, the editor's a guy called Bernie McGurk, he's a brilliant guy I worked with for many years, and he was saying, this footage is incredible. It was this, for an editor, it's just, it, it's like a chocolate box of treats, you know, it's just so exciting for him. Yeah, and, I can definitely imagine that. <laughs> yeah, and then we had a, a, this desire to make it a theatrical doc. So Cosmic Cat, who are the film distributors, uh, contacted the Glasgow Film Festival, which, which will obviously be in February and March, obviously virtually again this year. Uh, and they loved the story. So it uh, will premiere at the Glasgow Film Festival have a short cinematic window, because obviously there's no cinemas, but, but people are interested uh, for their programmes, and then it will go on BBC Scotland and the iPlayer, April, May, still to be defined. So it was an incredible story of, of putting together that coalition of the willing, yeah. and very exciting yeah. to do. And that's before you even get to the actual story itself, because I, I was really um, pulled in by the fact that it does have that kind of, Glaswegian lens or in the description that it says it talks about how they kind of look at Peter's life growing up in Glasgow and then yeah. how I guess that has then subsequently affected the rest of his life and the decisions that he then makes as that goes on and it's a really good hook back into Scotland which I'm sure BBC Scotland were all over. Yeah, but, but I think it, I mean without being an amateur psychologist if you look at his a, a childhood of incredible violence mm. uh, you know I've father who was more in prison than he was out of it you can see the, the roots of that without overplaying it you can see the roots of that and in a funny way he was one of those guys for whom the discipline of the army probably saved his life but then then he was always getting involved in fights and drunken arguments uh, and even though he'd been SAS trained 
you know, he always struggled with the discipline of it, but it probably genuinely saved his life. And so I think Scotland plays a huge part in that story. I mean, Scotland's, you know, if, he's, if he was a stick of rock and you cut him, Scotland would be carved right through it, you know? So I think that's a huge part of his story. And he comes from an area of Glasgow. And I, I mean, I hate to play up the no mean city. I, Glasgow is a tough city, but now it's unrecognisable from the city he grew up in, you know, um, with its Frappuccino bars and everything else. But, you know, there's still a, a tough part of that city. And I think the area he came from in the east end of Glasgow, I think life expectancy is in the upper 50s for men. You know, I, actually, he was later a consultant in Iraq. And I think at one point, life expectancy for a man in Iraq, despite two wars, a revolution and a civil war, was still longer than the people in the east end of Glasgow. So God, I, yeah. that's a huge part of the story. And obviously, you know, his time in Angola, uh, his time with the Rhodesian uh, Defence Force in the South African Defence Forces, he's done some pretty remarkable and some very dodgy things. But I think this was the life-defining moment for him, you know, mm. because an extraordinary thing for him to be involved yeah. in. I think it'll do really well. And it's the kind of show that will do really well on iPlayer. Obviously, audiences in Scotland go on the channel, but I think under, you know, the new terms of trade where, where shows sit for a year on the iPlayer, I think that will be, I think it'll do very well on the iPlayer. Yeah, well, I'm not from Scotland and I'm all over that. <laughs> uh, and I think as well, when it comes to pitching archive documentaries and across the kind of genres of BBC Scotland, the key always seems to be finding new and interesting ways to shed light on contemporary Scotland in maybe a way that you wouldn't necessarily think of as being straightforward. And I think this documentary not only just follows a really interesting story about a guy who's trying to assassinate Pablo Escobar, <laughs> which is already a pretty major hook, but the way that it does that by looking at other things that then bring it back to the UK is just such so interesting. I think that that using archive to tell stories in different ways, I think is really important. And one of the calling cards of Fivers and particularly of Mick. So we're three quarters of the way through the years that changed modern Scotland for the channel, presented by Kirsty Work. And I think it's looking at it's not just going and then this happened and then that happened. So it's looking, for example, this week's episode was looking at the arrival of dance music and how that changed the cult, youth culture in Scotland and that growing cultural excitement that suddenly, and trust me, I've lived long enough, it's very rarely cool to be Scottish, but that moment train spotting and Braveheart hit the same year. And you just go, it, so from kilts through to heroin, it was suddenly, oh my goodness, Scottish stories are worth telling. And I think that, but, but telling that story back to ourselves is, is, is really interesting rather than just going, well, now it's 1995 and so-and-so was elected and such and such happens. And I think that when you see the archive in the Killing Escobar, it's incredibly resonant for the, of the time. Uh, and, I, and I think that's, I, I love those kind of stories. Brilliant. Well, as this is commissioning conversations, I'm going to have to ask you a little bit again about how did you pitch this idea to BBC Scotland? Was there anything in particular that you were you know, trying to push forward or was there anything? No, it's ever the particular thing you were pushing forward was cash, you know, so. <laughs> but it was, we had the trailer. So it's not, it's not a difficult story to grasp. 
you know, it's not a hard pitch to make. I mean, obviously, I've talked to, to a lot of people, obviously not in your fine podcast, but just friends. And it's the, kind of, the guys I play five-a-side football with or golf with, and you suddenly go, well, doing this story about a Scottish guy killing Pablo Escobar, you've suddenly have got everybody's attention. And it's always, you know, you can run all the focus groups you like, but you just know, you know, when you say something, Heather, in this business, you just know people are going to respond to it. Um, and Carson was incredibly supportive, as was Screen Scotland. Everybody was in right away. It wasn't a, a hard sell. I've done a lot harder sells. Yeah, and you mentioned um, the kind of co-production side of things. I don't know if you wanted to elaborate a little bit more on that. Yeah, no, we, we did it as a straight co-pro with Salon. Uh, Nick's a great guy. Um, we just divvied up the responsibilities. He brought David, the director. And so there was a very natural, we did the kind of Scottish end of things. Uh, and, and we shared the international. So it, it was a very natural fit. It, it, there's not been a raised voice or a harsh word spoken. <laughs> so I've, I've really enjoyed working with them. And as I say, it survived both the, the collapse of the original investor and COVID. So it was uh, getting a crew out. Mick did a great job getting a crew out to Colombia in a time of COVID and filming there and getting them all back safely was just an extraordinary bit of logistics, you know. Yeah. And Lucy who's our head of production absolutely played a blinder to do that and we had tiny windows to get things done uh, and you know and it was just it was it was extraordinary so there was a great moment talking about the insurance and <clears throat> people were going well what about COVID what about COVID and I was like yeah but what about kidnap <laughs> <laughs> shooting that let's we not think about that as well so I think uh, she did an absolutely brilliant job Really brilliant job. Uh, and I'm sure they were absolutely thrilled to have this uh, story come across their desk. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to tune into that. And I, yeah, I think it's a fantastic commission. While Thank I have you. you, Two Rivers has been pretty, pretty busy the last couple of weeks in terms of commissioning announcements. Uh, yeah. So I want to say congrats on securing a two year commitment from Channel 4 for an eighth and ninth series of Escape to the Chateau. Yeah, so basically the commitment, and it, again, I play a, like a tight, oh, sorry, it's, it's a podcast. You can't see how small I'm holding my fingers apart. <laughs> so huge credit to Dick and Angel and all the team at Chateau TV who are our co-producers in this. And the real heroine of this is Lizzie Wooten, our head of Popular Factual, uh, who has driven forward the success of Make Do and Mend and this current series of Chateau that, that just finished at Christmas, which has led to the the huge commitment that Channel 4 are making over the next two years. So the commitment is basically to six series over the next two years, which again, in a time of COVID is, is, is quite a remarkable achievement. Uh, and for a company, and this is actually our, this week is our second birthday. This week's How second birthday. Oh, happy birthday. The investment in, yeah. <laughs> so I think in two years to have achieved what we've achieved, I'm immensely proud of, of what we've done and particularly immensely mm. proud of the team that's achieved it for us. Mm. And part of that commitment was a second commission of the lockdown format, the yes. Make Do and Mend. Um, yes. And I think that's that's really exciting because I know a lot of the kind of lockdown formats that we had going on were very specifically kind of tailored for that. And then mm. people felt a bit tired of these Zoomy lockdown formats. But I think at the same time, there was some real innovation and I really am looking forward to seeing some of those programs that were dreamed up in a very specific time but are able to kind of carry on going even after all of that and I think 
characters like Dick and Angel just so warm and me and Alice who's my podcast host as well we're discussing on last week's one this kind of gravitation to these warm escapist shows and I don't think that's going any anywhere anytime soon so it's really nice to see innovative formats carrying on as well yeah and I think again Lizzie takes all the credit for this I mm. think people love the fact that Dick who's irritatingly brilliant at doing <laughs> manly you know you actually you know you can feel your masculinity draining away when you're with him you know because he's just uh, an angel obviously who's just a brilliant designer and the way they connected with people you know whether it was redoing their granny's uh, drinks trolley or uh, an old radiogram of their grandfathers or getting a front door done so lots of tasks that people had picked up during lockdown but they do anyway and uh, one of my favourites was um, this wee girl building a, a hen house in a garden for her hens, which she called Cluckingham Palace. I mean, you got to love that. And, oh, my God, uh, I love that. <laughs> to watch them helping people was amazing. And we're absolutely keeping that format. The great benefit is, obviously, with restricted production, we can at least have a crew out. So Dick and Angel not only were doing all of this, they were filming themselves doing all of this, uploading it to the cloud, and then we were editing it. It was so complicated and so difficult, particularly in a, 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 as the virus was spreading, I, but they did an amazing job. So it'll be slightly easier because we can actually have a proper crew filming them. They will, they will keep the, the, the iPhone connection with people. That get a really brilliant reaction from the audience. It feels the, very intimate, doesn't it? Dick and Angel I, go, no, no, what about if you did that? And um, this wee girl's bedroom was done up and they built the, the wooden base for the bed together. And it was just a lovely... A really heartwarming, lovely watch. Yeah, and I saw the Channel 4's features and formats head. Uh, Sean Doyle called them the jewels in the C4 crown, which I really liked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, no, they're, they're terrific talent and we're immensely privileged to be in a co-production with them. And uh, I, and I think Channel 4's commitment, obviously, well, words, words are great, but actions are even better, aren't they? And these actions... <laughs> very loudly a uh, two-year commitment across six series is just fantastic for us oh well this has been really nice um i think i'm going to leave it there but keep up the good work alan and all the best for 2021 a real pleasure to speak to you heather and to you too what a lovely lovely chat or oh, what a lovely commissioning conversation <laughs> Yeah, he's a really lovely guy and I really do wish Two Rivers all the best for 2021. It's always nice to see production companies thriving, especially in such a hard time. That brings us to the end. And we just want to say thank you to everyone who's listened to last week's episode. And we hope you're all enjoying the revamp. Just wanted to shout out again before we go. If you are interested in coming on the podcast, you can drop us a line anytime at info at broadcastintel.com. So Commissioning Conversations is back and on a bi-weekly schedule. So we'll see you all in two weeks time. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.